0: Well, good morning again, and thank you so much for being here. As I'm sure you've picked up, if you were here last week, we are in the midst of a new series, and that series is called "Out of Context." And this was sort of inspired uh, a little bit um, by just some of the things that I've been seeing uh, over the course of the last few years as I've as sort of worked um, pastorally and and helped pastors out and those types of things. There's there's a few things. Uh, that I've noticed. And and here at IPC, our mission uh, as it came up on the wall a little while ago. It's kind of like twofold. Uh, it's to uh, introduce people to Jesus and to deepen our faith. Uh, that's sort of the beginning of our mission statement. And that implies two different things that we talked about last week. The first is if we're going to introduce somebody to Jesus, we're assuming that that person doesn't know much about Jesus or hasn't heard a lot about what church and what faith really looks like, and so it's really important to understand that when we go into those types of conversations. The other part of that mission statement is to deepen our faith, and so that means that we we're probably talking to people who already have an established faith in Christ, and they we're trying to figure out how to draw closer to Him, uh, how to find what He's uh, guiding us to, and how to deepen our faith uh, in all of those ways. And whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're looking for something new or whether you've been here for a long time, uh, you'll probably notice that one of the best ways to get to know Jesus is through Scripture. We talk about using Scripture a lot in a lot of different ways to do this. But one of the things that happens every once in a while, and sometimes it's completely intentional, and sometimes it's a little bit by accident, but we can sometimes take Scripture out of context. And when we do that, it can take on a life of its own. It can create a new meaning that was never really intended. And so what we're going to do is continue to spend the next few weeks uh, picking off some of the places where that happens the most and just talking through that and giving a little bit of context either to a Scripture verse or a concept uh, that comes from Scripture and sort of talking about how that happened and then how we can actually uh, understand it better, and then use it the way that it was intended. So today's message, uh, today's biblical concept, so last week was a verse. We did uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. We isolated a verse. This week, we're going to isolate a concept. And maybe you've been going through a hard time. Maybe you've had a, a rough winter. Maybe it's been the last couple of years of COVID. Maybe you're a parent, and there's Cheerios flying all over the place constantly, or whatever that looks like, and somebody seeing that you've had a hard time, somebody really looking into your heart and knowing and understanding that you just need some encouragement will come up to you and go, you're going to be okay because in the Bible it says, God will never give you more than you can handle. And in that moment, you sit there and go, "Ah." maybe not, I don't know. But that's, that's a popular biblical concept. We've heard about this a lot. God will never give you more than you can handle. Now, there's two big parts of that statement that we're not going to get into because they're really kind of sermons on their own. The first part is that it implies that God makes everything happen, everything that happens in your life, good or bad, moment to moment, whether you choose the salad or the burrito, that's sort of God influencing you. Uh, And theologically, there's some concepts we can talk a bit about that, which is why it's like a whole deep thing, but, you know, that's, you know, part of it. And then the other part is that really not a lot of it's on you. Like God's never going to give you more you can handle, sort of implies that like you should be safe, you're going to be okay, there's never really going to be a moment where you should be that overwhelmed because, uh, gosh, you know, why would God do that to me? That's not what I've learned in this biblical concept. And this concept comes from, and again, we sort of, uh, these concepts come from when we isolate a, a little passage of Scripture, we talk about it a little bit more, and then it sort of takes on a life of its own. So this concept comes from isolating a, a Scripture passage in 1 Corinthians in chapter 10, verse 13. So if you can throw that up there for me really quick, here's where this concept kind of comes from. Uh, this verse says, in part, And God is faithful, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So that's what sort of isolating this verse says. It says, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. There's a couple other translations. This is the NIV. Uh, The ESV says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will never let you be tempted beyond your ability. King James says, "There hath not, there hath no temptation taken you, boy. I'm going to struggle through that one. Can you tell I'm woof? I'm sorry. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able." And then the message, which is uh, a translation that sort of takes uh, verses out and then uh, sort of tries to make it really, really readable, says this. No test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. All you have to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you push beyond your limit. So now I'm sure from reading this isolated scripture and then hearing sort of other translations, you can see how over time, depending on how you talk about it, this concept could arrive, right? God will never give you more than you can handle because he is faithful and he will never tempt you beyond what you can bear. So let's dig in a little bit today to some of the scripture around that. Let's look at the context under which that scripture was written, that letter was sent. And then I'm going to say to you that although that turn of phrase is really nice and makes makes you feel good for a moment, This scripture is so much more powerful and helpful than that, which is one of the really exciting things about doing a series like this because we get to dig in and go, oh, that's not what it meant. Oh, but it means something so much better. So let's do that together. First of all, let's give you a little bit of context into where this was written. So uh, 1 Corinthians was written to this group of people in the city of Corinth called... Corinthians, right, yes, thank you. That was, and for the three of you that did that at home, by yourself in a living room, I applaud you as well. I appreciate that. Uh, Corinth was a large port city in Greece, uh, and which means when you're a port city, you have a lot of people coming in and out. You're very multicultural. Uh, there's a lot of ideas. It's, it's sort of like the melting pot for an entire culture comes in in a port city or a place where a lot of people come and traffic in and out. There's a lot of different temples for a lot of different religious, uh, you know, pagan sort of uh, uh, gods and idols and that sort of thing. It's just sort of, it's all there. If, If you visited the market in Corinth, it was highly likely that whatever food was cooked there was probably earlier sacrificed to one of the gods and one of the other temples. And there was this phrase that existed that was called, to live like a Corinthian. And everybody sort of knew what to live like a Corinthian meant. It was sort of this turn of phrase of being like free-flowing and not caring, sort of jumping from thing to thing, maybe being a little bit promiscuous. It was kind of, it was a bit of a party town, right? So You'd live like a Corinthian. And so Paul, on one of his missionary journeys, has planted a church in Corinth. And now he's writing to that church to sort of help guide them and help them figure out how to handle being the light in a port city that's really got a whole lot of going, other things going on around it very soon after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So let's read through this scripture, and then we'll start breaking it down into uh, three sections. We'll go from there. So this section in your Bibles is probably titled, uh, A Warning from Israel's History. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, we start in and we say this. This is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. For I do not want you, the church, to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors, and when he says our ancestors, he's talking about sort of a big hour. So the Israelites and everybody who's been a, a God follower, a Christ follower that's come before this conversation were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Here comes 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So what we're going to do is we're going to break this down into three sections. I usually don't do the three-point thing, but that's just what made sense today. So that's how we're going to do it. The first section is sort of this first section of verses from verse 1 to verse 5. And what Paul is doing is he's giving a little bit of backstory. He's actually giving context to the Christians in Corinth. Uh, what he's doing is saying, okay, I'm going to catch you up a little bit on the story because I, you know, maybe you're ignorant. Some, some commentaries say Paul is saying you are ignorant. Some say we don't want you to be ignorant. Either way, Paul's taking the time to catch people up on what's going on. And so what he's doing is he's telling a very brief story about the Israelites, about God's people and their journey through time up until now. And the Israelites have gone through a lot. They've had prophets come and tell them about what God was planning and what they should do next. They've had new governance systems because they wanted a king and so they got one. They've had wars and enemies and people attacking them and they've been exiled from their homes and taken away and then eventually uh, brought back. And so what these verses do is they talk about um, some of the experiences that the Israelites had when they were on their journey from Egypt to the promised land and some of the things that they encountered there. So we talk about uh, here uh, the cloud baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So there's this cloud by day and this pillar of fire by night that led the Israelites through the desert. You can go back and read all about that. So he's just giving a little bit of history, history that these folks would likely know he's just reminding them. He said, baptism through the waters of the Red Sea, he's reminding us that God brought them through the Red Sea. And then he talks about the spiritual food and spiritual drink, and again, They're traveling through the desert. There isn't a lot to eat. There isn't a lot to drink. So he's talking about the manna that was provided for them to eat as well as the water that was provided to them miraculously by God in a handful of different ways. And then verse 5 says, nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now this is really interesting because this is kind of the turning point of the lesson in that really that first part. And it says this, God provided everybody what they needed. God provided a way. God provided the provisions. God provided the guidance. God provided everything that they needed to get from A to B to where they needed to go. Yet, some of them didn't make it. That's interesting, right? Paul is kind of saying here, something that maybe is a little uncomfortable, but we need to remember as we journey towards verse 13. It's that even though God provides you a way out, it doesn't mean you always get out. Right? Just because God provides you a way out doesn't mean that you always get out. Well, Why is that the case? Because when something is provided to you, you still need to accept it. You still need to follow it. How many of you have been in an argument? Just me. Okay. If you can all pray for me, that would be great. How many of you have been in an argument when you knew the only way out was to apologize, yet you didn't take it? Now you don't need, oh, I actually have a couple of hands. <laughs> right. Right. Okay? So, simply, there's a way out. It's provided for you, yet you choose a different path. And what happens? You're still stuck. That's not because there wasn't a way out. It's because you chose a different way. So, what Paul is saying is, hey, here's Israel's history. Please don't be ignorant of it. Please Remember it, but also remember that God's people were given everything they needed, yet some of them didn't make it out, not because God didn't provide, but because there was a little bit of responsibility on those people to make the decisions they needed to make, and they didn't always make the ones they were supposed to. Okay, So that's the first section. The second one here in the middle, starting in verse 7, he starts to give specific examples. So I just gave the example of Uh, An argument. So he gives some specific examples from Israel's history. Times when they had a way out, but they chose another way. In verse 7, he says, Don't be idolaters as some of them were as it was written. And then talks about it. And there, they're talking about this time where uh, Moses went up the mountain to hear from God. And the people down below built this golden calf, this idol because they were impatient and they wanted to figure things out on their own. And instead of waiting for the instruction from God to get them where they needed to go, they created their own way. So Paul says, don't do that. Verse 8 talks about the Israelites uh, linking up with the Moabite women in the book of Numbers. We're not going to get into that. Too Again, each one of these examples is probably its own Sunday on its own. But they linked with these people. They became intimate with them. And then through those relationships, they started worshiping their gods and their idols. And again, because of decisions they made, they slowly started to drift away from God. Paul says, don't do that. Verse 9 talks about complaining to God and to Moses while they were in hardship in the desert. God's providing a way, yet people are complaining. People are saying, how can I get this differently? How can I provide my own way? What are we talking about here? This is awful. You're terrible leaders. You're not working so fast, and, 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 and. Paul says, hit the brakes. Take a breath. Don't be like that. And then in verse 10, in number 16, he talks about a time uh, where the folks in Israel didn't follow through on a very specific plan that God gave them. And what happened? They didn't get through the things they needed to get through. So again, this first part is very true. God provides a way out. But there's some responsibility on you to take up the torch and to walk that path as well and to actually go that way and take it. And the second is a kind of a joke that I made last week. Is there are some really good reasons and examples as to why you gave up, didn't, didn't get through. And usually they're linked with our choices. (laughs) Usually we're not, we're sort of like, you know, the, the part of the equation that's the variable. We are the part that needs to make sure we make the choice in order to follow the thing that we've been called to do. And then the third section we get to the hope. So verse 11 talks about how important all this is because Paul is saying you are living in the penultimate time. For all of the history of God's people, we have been waiting and talking about the Messiah. And you are living within the generation that that happened. You are living in like the penultimate moment of our faith so far. And so it's really important that you understand both our history, but where we are headed to now. Uh, verse 12 is sort of a one last warning. And then verse 13 happens. No temptation has overtaken you except that what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, with all of that context in mind, that really actually conceptually changes that statement that we made. Well, 15 minutes ago. God will never give you more than you can handle. First of all, from a language perspective, that's not what it means. Second of all, really what we're talking about is God will never have you be led into a temptation in which there isn't a path out for you. right? And that's a completely different concept. Because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world with temptation all over the place we can choose this we can choose that some of it's good some of it's bad sometimes we need to discern sometimes we pray to decide sometimes we decide on our own merits or situationally what we think and all that's okay until we get to this place where we go what I I thought God wouldn't give me more than I could handle well really the statement should be I thought God was going to give me a way out Because as soon as you do that, you have to go introspective. Did I look for the way out? Did I pray for the way out? Did I seek the way out? Did I miss it? Did I see it but ignore it? Did I see it and kind of go halfway and decide, that's far enough, now I'm going to try my own thing? This is where this verse becomes both a bigger encouragement because it's tangible but also something that we need to take responsibility for because we're a part of this equation too. It's a two-way relationship. We need to make sure that we're following God and His instruction and the things that He's giving us. Or we probably won't get out because just because there's a way out doesn't mean you're going to get out. (laughs) What we need to do is we need to seek after God and His way and follow that. Now, if you're newer to Christianity, and this is kind of uh, a a concept that, like, okay, Mike, this makes sense. But quite honestly, uh, Mike, I'm hearing what you're saying, but I've never seen that before. I, I get the concept. God will give me a way out. Maybe you're new in your faith. Maybe you're just thinking about it. Maybe you're 20 years into your faith, and you're thinking, you know... I've never really seen that way out. At this point, the question is both obvious and a challenge, and it's have you looked? <laughs> have you sought that out? Have you asked? Have you prayed? Have you brought people in? Have you really listened? Have you been patient? Whose timeline are you working on? All of a sudden, we start to ask all these questions and go, oh, Maybe God is more faithful than I thought. Maybe I'm the one that skewed off a little bit. And this isn't one of those, uh, like, you know, guilt sermons or one of those ones that reel you back in and say, you should change everything that you're doing. This is one of those ones that just takes this biblical concept and says, here it is in context. It's actually more helpful than it is in that little phrase. God will never give you more than you can handle. Is so giant and ambiguous and takes on a life of his own. God will always provide you a way out, gives you hope even when it's the darkest, because you still have somewhere to go. God will never give you more than you can handle is ambiguous. How much can you handle? How much can I handle? Is that situational? Is that based on how I feel today? Is it based on the salad or the burrito? I don't know. How much can I handle? Then it's like, well, should I be able to handle this? Is there something wrong with me? And all of a sudden, we start taking that concept and we go down this path that doesn't actually lead us anywhere. But if we look at the same verse and we go, God doesn't leave you into a place or allow you to be led into a place of temptation without having the way out, then there's hope. What's the way out? How do I find it? I know where to look. I need to keep being faithful. I need to pray. I need to pursue. I need to be reminded of the times, like Paul does, that other people said they were going to try to follow but didn't, and what happened? All that stuff is actually really helpful. And at the end of the day, this, this verse, this concept is a huge encouragement because it's a tangible way to follow Jesus day by day to know that God always keeps His promises, as all of the examples give as well, and that you can actually really use in every moment that you walk in your faith or as you try to figure out what your faith looks like. So, to review, God always provides a way out, but that doesn't mean you're going to get out. There's usually a reason that you get out or don't, and usually the reason (laughs) is your commitment to following God and what His plan is for you. Now, this is how we take a verse and a concept that takes wildly out of context, and we actually use it to be tangible and helpful and viable in our lives. So I would encourage you, the next time that you see somebody that's having a minute, that you see somebody that is overwhelmed, that you see somebody that is clearly beyond their capacity, that you see somebody who is just up to their ears in whatever they're up to their ears in, then instead of going to them and saying something maybe a little fluffy or ambiguous like, God will never give you more than you could handle, give them something tangible, give them something they can grab onto. You know, here's a time where I felt like I was in the midst of a whole bunch of things I didn't understand. But I knew that God would provide me a way out if I looked for it, if I sought Him after it, if I earnestly prayed and listened and watched. So maybe you could try that. Maybe you could give that a go. Because I think that's going to be more helpful to you in this moment than giving you something empty and probably half encouraging. This is how we take a scripture that gets out of context that's actually not helpful. We bring it back into context and we make it extremely tangible and it actually gives you a tool not only to walk through your own life, but to help somebody else through it too. Amen? Okay, let's pray together. God, thanks so much for today. Thank you that we have um, biblical authors and uh, people that wrote... Long ago, that gave uh, instruction as to how to follow you and how to live and how to breathe. And God, thank you for the promise that you will never leave us in a place that we are tempted without a way out. God, thank you that you are faithful, that that has been proven through history time and time again. Thank you that there are examples that we can look back on and know that that's the case. And so, God, I just pray that as we find ourselves in dark moments, in tough moments, or we interact with people that have those same things, that, God, we would understand that you are a God who is faithful to us, that will always lead us out, that will lead us to safety, that will lead us to safekeeping, and that ultimately will lead us to you, as long as we have actively searched for that and we make sure we're doing it day to day. God, help us to do that. There are biblical examples and there are examples in our personal lives of time that we've done that really poorly. And sometimes it's a real struggle. So Lord, I just pray that you would give us the strength and the endurance and the wisdom to search after you in the moments that we need to. In Jesus' name, amen.